click, click, click. Never stop. Oh man, this is gonna get real annoying real fast. Yeah, see why I told you to turn your click track off? Oh, I, I had to turn it on. It wasn't even on to begin with. It's gonna end badly. Nick's mutant power. I don't think it's gonna is, go badly. I don't think it's just gonna end badly. <laughs> You're vastly overestimating how the rest of it's gonna be. Yeah. Ten. All right. Uh, so Dooge is back. Does that mean that I have to do the big intro this time? Let me turn off my yeah, All that track. matters is that you pronounce it as Stan Lee would pronounce it. Instead of saying Excelsior, okay. let's say Excelsior. Or. All there right. you go. Ready? Okay. Hello, true believers, and welcome to Cinema Excelsior. Is that better? <laughs> Did I hit it that time? Sure. Nailed it. <laughs> All right. It stinks. <laughs> You just—you sounded Thanks, like a character from one of our previous films. <laughs> it's a—it's an MST3K reference. Yeah, and, it stinks, uh, yeah. yeah. What? Uh, which movie is that? Pod what? people. It stinks. Pod people, That's a yeah. critic reference. It stinks. No, no. But like, oh, there, there's a long a musical number where this guy, like, after, when they're done recording it, he oh, goes, but "It Nick, stinks." Believe me, I remember. Pod people is. It was my introduction to Mystery Science Theater, and it's the one that I had seen more than any other. Uh, so believe so me, perfect. I remember it. I just uh, thought that you were referencing the critic. Uh, mm. uh, did you ever see Jack Frost? The MST3K? Yes, no, yes. I the have, uh, I Russo, Russo Finnish fairy tale. Yeah, uh, because <laughs> the bizarre Russo Finnish fairy tale. Stefan, back me up. The the kid, the voiceover for the kid in Pod People is the same as the 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 dubbing for the kid in Jack Frost. Correct. Or one of the characters from Jack Frost is the voice from the kid in Pod People. Trumpy? I have not made I have not made that connection. Oh, okay. But now that you mention it, I can hear it. Okay. I'm almost yeah. certain that that's the case. Uh, that, mm -hmm. that it's the same. Pod people's person. Pod people's like the E. T. ripoff, right? I'm thinking yeah. of the right one. It's more of a Mac yeah. and me ripoff. Oh yeah. <laughs> I can't for the life of me remember how that sequence in the recording studio connects to anything else in the movie. It's before it's... our group of plucky young <laughs> would-be heroes goes off into the woods. Uh, they're recording yeah. what sounds the like an extreme, yeah, an extremely white person's version of what people in the '80s thought 1950s Motown sounded like. <laughs> There's a lot of very important conditionals on that statement. All right. Yeah. Well, we're talking about X Men today, so get ready for some goddamn yeah. convoluted logic. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad we spent about five minutes talking about pod people at the beginning of our X Men. Well, it, tie, it ties too. in because, because, like Mystery Science Theater 3000, uh, X Men, we are told at the beginning of the film, takes place in the not too distant future. Ah, yes. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so uh, as you may have picked up from our telling you it, uh, today we're talking about uh, X-Men, released in the year 2000. <laughs> Quit laughing at me. Uh, released in the year 2000, directed by Brian Singer, and starring a, uh, a veritable cavalcade of stars. Uh, before I talk about that cavalcade of stars, let's introduce today's cavalcade of stars. Uh, I am Stephen Claypool, and today 
there are so many characters to choose from here. It's it's not it's not like I've got Blade and Heat Seeking Dennis to pick from. <laughs> um All right, so uh Okay. We we're, we're going to we're going to do characters not a, we're going to do convoluted X-Men characters. That's going to be our our introduction. So, I'm Stephen Claypool, and today I'm going to be Strife. Strife, if you don't know, is an evil clone of an alternate universe version of Cyclops and Jean's son infected with the techno-organic virus. He is the evil version of Cable. To my digital left... (laughs) Fucking Cable. To my digital left (laughs) is uh, Nick Bester. Nick is X-Man. X-Man is an alternate... (laughs) I detect a theme... (laughs) X-Men is an alternate universe version of an alternate universe version of Cyclops and Jean Grey's son from the future infected with a techno-organic virus, although X-Men is not infected with a techno-organic virus. Try to keep up. It, it makes sense. And the third member of our group is uh, Mr. Daniel Watson-Jones, the Dooge, and Dooge... <laughs> This is my favorite. I actually pulled this description straight off of Wikipedia. I'm very eager to hear who I'm going to be. <laughs> you, I really you hope are... it's another alternative version of whatever the fuck their kid's name is. <laughs> it, it, it is an alternate uh, universe version of a character. You are the Brute. So here we go. Brute is from the Mutant X universe. In this reality, this is quoting from Wikipedia, in this reality, Hank McCoy's experimentation went too far. He's an alternate version of the Beast. Yes! Instead of his furry simian form... The Dark Beast! No, no, it gets better. Instead of his furry simian form, he has transformed into a green, furred, and scaled amphibious creature. To add insult to injury, his intellect degenerated to the equivalent of a small child's. He also made a faulty deal with demons, which resulted in his legs being replaced with goat hooves. Wait, with what? What were his legs replaced Excellent. with? Goat hooves. Oh my god, this is amazing. I've never encountered this. Yeah. If we had Excellent. if we had a fourth person, I would recommend that they should be the third the third summer's brother. Uh, the third Summer's Brother would be a good one. The one I had on tap was actually Sauron. You oh, guys yeah. remember Sauron? Yeah, from the cartoon, of course. Uh, I, no, I don't. Okay, so oh. Sauron is a psychiatrist turned hypnotist turned psychic vampire hypnotist who is also a Pteranodon <laughs> man. Okay, Whoa. good. I was like, Sauron, that seems like it should be a dinosaur. <laughs> Yeah, he's the pterodactyl. Uh, that's, that's amazing. That's how I remembered him was, yes. as the pterodactyl. He's a pterodactyl. He's a pterodactyl vampire hypnotist therapist. God damn it! Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's his heaven. That that's okay. yep yep that's it. So wait, to go back to our our convoluted characters. Yep. Are Strife and X Man both versions of the same person, they or are, are they different? They are both versions of Cable. Okay. Wow. Uh. Y- are there any other are there any other versions of this guy around? I have to look it up now. Has has there been one who is just from the future but not from an alternate future? 
Has has their have has their child just come back normally? Is it always universe hopping? I believe that X Men was the closest that we came to that, but he was from an alternate universe. Oh, I got it! Yeah, I can't believe I was so dumb as to forget this. Oh, what were you thinking? Okay. So here is the other well-known version of Cable. Uh, the Ultimate Universe Cable. Oh, Guess God. who the Ultimate Universe version of Cable is? Cable? Is it Wolverine? <laughs> it's Wolverine. <laughs> it's Wolverine from the future. <laughs> wow. Of course it's fucking Wolverine. It's always fucking Wolverine. Yeah. And we'll As we will no doubt yeah. have to talk about for a long time while we're doing these things. So much goddamn Wolverine. Uh, mm. Now, who's if the you had chosen, say, say that Who, again. Who's Dude? the second Summers brother? I mean, I know Scott Summers. Havoc. What? Havoc. Havoc. Havoc? Oh, okay. Havoc. Sorry, Havoc yeah. is not in my my core group. He's in. Uh, have you seen um, First Class? X Men First Class. Yeah. He's the guy who's uh, got the thing in his chest and like shoots. Now you. Oh, now, dude, yeah. you, you might have. You might have noticed by Bester bringing up First Class and a character in First Class, mm-hmm. uh, you might have noticed a continuity error there. With the, Don't the worry, we'll we'll be we'll be okay. talking a lot about continuity errors today. Oh God. Um, now, now, okay. now just as a just as a test of our friendship, if you had chosen, <laughs> if you had if you had just chosen regular X Men and not gone for Ice the Man. most convoluted possible. There you yeah. go. Yes. I just yeah. wanted to know if I, you knew which one Nick, I would want, would have wanted to be. Yes. Yeah. I, I knew that you would either be Iceman or Kitty Pride. <laughs> yep. Nick would be Iceman. Dude, I still think you would be the Beast. I, and uh, I, I I would be Cyclops. I would be either There's Beast or Nightcrawler. There's nothing wrong with that. Be, both excellent choices. Cyclops always yep. gets a bum rap. He is very awesome. Yep. And we'll talk about that. Yes. All right. <sighs> Let's actually talk about this movie now. Let's talk about X-Men. 20 minutes so, in. Let's actually talk about the movie we're talking about. Let's go. About. Let's go. Uh, so, yes, X-Men, released in the year 2000, uh, starring Hugh Jackman, Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen, uh, Halle Berry, among others. There's a lot of fucking and, people in this movie. There's a lot of fucking people. And hold on. Ah. I'll cut that out. <laughs> Ooh, uh. Who played Sabretooth in this? Tyler Maine, uh, ex-professional wrestler. Okay. Maine. Yeah. That seems appropriate. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so I have been uh, busy with work, so I don't actually have a disc- a uh, summary of the film written up and ready oh to go. So do we want to try to improv this? Oh my god, yes. Uh. <laughs> okay, so to begin. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. I'll have to explain how everybody ends up in the same places constantly. Yeah. There's a lot okay. of really wanna... contrived coincidences in this movie. I, I'm, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to try to keep it high level. Wait, yeah. Can can we have Nick try to summarize it, and then <laughs> Stephanie can summarize it, or job. I can summarize <laughs> it? Uh, yeah. Okay, okay. So Nick, you summarize. We're going to just let you summarize yes. this, and when you're done summarizing it, we'll give you notes. Yes. There we okay. go. Perfect. I, I, I'm very happy about this, and I did just watch this a couple hours ago, so yeah. it should be pretty fresh in my mind. Oh God. All right. And I was also watching it with my mom, so I had to explain what was <laughs> happening to her. So 
Hopefully, I'm I am prepared for this. This is the day I've been working for my whole life. <laughs> All right, the film starts. You have Patrick Stewart presenting a silly monologue about how uh, evolution takes place slowly over time, but then every so often there are mutations, and this is the key to progress. And now this is happening. Um, and then the scene is set: the Holocaust. the The film opens in uh, the Holocaust with. Uh, Tiny little baby Magneto uh, is uh, in a concentration camp, and his parents are being taken away from him. And he gets super, super upset about this for obvious reasons. And the Nazi guards are trying to pull the family apart. And Magneto is like, ah, mama, dada. And his latent magnetic powers manage to rip a, uh, a metal gate off its hinges. And the Nazis are like, holy crap. Uh, and that's the end of that scene. Uh, we then cut to the present day, and we have Rogue uh, is at home. She hasn't discovered her powers yet, uh, and I do think that this movie is very, very dumb how they always are referring to themselves by their code names. That's always been a big pet peeve of mine, uh, that super superheroes have these alternative identities, and they just co refer to themselves constantly, and it sounds really stupid. But they do that in this movie, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, Rogue's there, and she has a very, very poor sense of Canadian geography, because she's planning to go up to Niagara Falls, and then Anchorage it will be a couple hours away. Uh, she's planning on going up to Alaska for some reason, and she kisses her boyfriend, and her boyfriend goes into a coma or dies? I'm unclear exactly what happens to him. Uh, because she has discovered that her powers are to, you know, zap the life out of people. And she's very upset about this. We then cut to Jean Grey is giving a speech about uh, mutants. And uh, the senator, Senator McCarthy analog, I forget his name, uh, is uh, railing against mutants and how dangerous they are. Uh, and he wants to have a mutant res registration act. Uh, and Jean Grey, being a mutant, is obviously not happy about this. Um, and I... I think I can then safely cut to the Canadian wilderness. There may be something I'm forgetting in here. And in the Canadian wilderness, suddenly everybody is in the exact same place at the exact same time. Uh, Jean Grey, or excuse me, Rogue gets <laughs> let off at a random bar in the middle of nowhere in Canada. And in this bar, there is for some reason a pit fight happening with uh, Logan Wolverine being sort of the standing champion using his uh, mutant powers to cheat. Uh, and Rogue watches this happen, and then the last person that Wolverine uh, won, uh, won against wants his money back, and they get into another fight, and he inadvertently reveals his claws, and he has to run away because everyone's scared of him because he's a mutant. And Rogue hides in the back of his car, and he finds her, and they're riding in the car uh, for a while, and then suddenly out of nowhere they get attacked by Sabretooth, uh, who is... After one of them, uh, it seems like he's he's after uh, Wolverine, but we'll get to that later. And then, again, because everybody is in the exact same place at the exact same time, uh, the X-Men show up with Storm summoning a, uh, a Storm, true to her name, and Cyclops blasting things with his uh, eye beams, as he does. And uh, they rescue uh, Wolverine and Rogue, and they take him up to their palatial estate up in uh, upstate New York slash that place in Toronto where everything is filmed, Casa Loma. Uh, and Wolverine is introduced to the world of the X-Men. He wakes up and Jean Grey's there checking on his on his vital stats. 
uh, and he's freaked the fuck out because he's in this weird place, and there's a there's a voice in his head, and he wanders around the uh, the mansion for a while, and then finds uh, Professor X, who explains all the crap about the X Men, uh, that this is a school for gifted uh, children that don't have a place in the world, and that some of them will go out and do things, some of them will stay here and be part of what the children have affectionately called the X-Men. Uh, and Wolverine is very dismissive of this entire thing. Uh, we then cut to Sabretooth, who is licking his wounds back at Magneto headquarters, and Toad is making fun of him. Uh, and Magneto makes some big evil proclamations about how all they know is that I've made the first move. Um... Then, let's see, what happens next? Do they t kidnap the senator? Is that right? Anyone want to jump in here? All right, they kidnap the senator, uh, and with the use of Mystique, who has twisty, uh, twisty powers, uh, she's a shapeshifter. <laughs> twisty powers. <laughs> you were doing so I'm well. very eloquent. <laughs> Very eloquent. Keep going, keep going. Get back uh, yes. on the sword. <laughs> she, uses, she uses her twisty powers to uh, pretend to be uh, the senator's uh, aide, and they take him away in a helicopter, and Magneto subjects him to this giant white ball of light, which causes mutant powers in non-mutants who are exposed to it, and apparently has absolutely no effect on mutants. Uh, and the senator wakes up, and now he's part water? It's kind of unclear exactly what his power is, but he's able to, like, squeeze through the bars of the cell he's in, uh, and he gets away, and later the X-Men uh, find him and figure out what's going on, and he bursts. He, like, pops like a balloon and dies, uh, revealing that this mutant-causing radiation will kill non-mutants non, uh, that it's exposed to. Um, meanwhile, something happens where Rogue... Rogue goes into Logan's room while he's having a nightmare, uh, and she wakes him up, and he's freaked out by the nightmare and accidentally stabs her with his uh, hand claws that he has because he's Wolverine. Uh, and to save herself, she has to touch him and t steal his uh, healing powers, uh, which very nearly kills uh, Wolverine because she possibly does it for too long. Uh, and later, Mystique, pretending to be Iceman, my favorite uh, X-Man, uh, tells Rogue that uh, everyone's really, really mad at her for using her powers, which nobody is. Everyone seems to be fine with it. Uh, so she runs off to a train station. Uh, and Wolverine steals Cyclops's uh, super-fast motorcycle to go to the train station to save uh, Rogue. And the rest of the X-Men, uh, Storm and Jean Grey and Cyclops, follow them in their SR-71 X-Jet. And Wolver and Magneto shows up, and it's revealed shockingly that he's not after uh, uh, Wolverine, that he wants Rogue. And uh, the X-Men try and stop him, but they can't, and he takes Rogue. And it becomes clear what his plan is. He's going to transfer his magnetic powers into Rogue, and she will run the uh, mutant radiation machine that will ultimately kill her, because it's a very draining machine. Uh, but Magneto will be fine. Uh, and he is not aware of the deadly side effects. He just wants to turn everyone into mutants. And, oh, and his target. His target is a UN summit of literally every single goddamn world leader in the world, because this is a supposedly something that happens, uh, which is happening on Ellis Island. And he is, Magneto has set up his radiation machine in the torch of 
uh, the Statue of Liberty, which is totally something he has easy access to for reasons. Um, and then you have the uh, climactic uh, battle. Uh, Wolverine agrees to join the X-Men. He makes some uh, joke about the costume. Cyclops makes another joke about would you prefer uh, yellow uh, leather, uh, which is obviously a reference to their classic costumes in the comics. Uh, there's a whole lot of fighting going on. Mystique uses her, quote, twisty powers uh, to play a whole lot of shell games with uh, <coughs> whose identity she is, including a fight between her and Wolverine, where both are Wolverine. Uh, and Toad is there, and you have the infamous line where uh, Storm hits him with a bolt of lightning and has this awful line about, do you know what happens to a Toad when it's hit by lightning? The same thing as everything else. And ultimately... Uh, Wolverine gets to Rogue, who is in the process of dying from the ra uh, the radiation machine, and nobly almost sacrifices himself by letting her touch him long enough for her to cure herself, and he very nearly dies, but he doesn't, and Magneto's plans are foiled, and, um, let's see, Professor X gives him some hints on where to go to find out more about his life, because he's very, very old and doesn't remember anything. And, you know, all that crap with Wolverine. Bravo! <laughs> Indeed. Good, good job. There sir. you go. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that, that, that was sh shockingly... Detailed? Shockingly <laughs> detailed, yeah. I wasn't expecting the was SR-83 jet or whatever it was. SR-71X jet. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's the SR-71. I, w I will Who say. Who doesn't know um, what the blackbird is called? A, cu a couple of notes. Um, you mentioned a tiny little baby Magneto. Uh, he was at least fifteen. <laughs> well, he's a baby Magneto compared to Ian McKellen. All right. Okay. Yes, he is not a baby. He is not a baby of the Holocaust. Okay. True. Um, <coughs> I I, w I would criticize you for dropping in repeatedly. And Toad was there, but the film kind of does it exactly like that. To Toad doesn't Toad so is much. He doesn't intercede. He appears in them. Yeah, yeah. He shows up. About the about the closest thing he does to a cool thing is where he gets that pipe and he does the Darth Maul thing because he's played by the same guy who played Darth Maul. Uh, that's about Ray the Park. only interesting. God. Yes, Ray Park. It's Ray literally Park, the only interesting thing that yeah. he does. Not to be confused with Ray Parker Jr. <laughs> um, that would be much <laughs> more interesting <laughs> if they had cast Ray Parker Jr. as Tisho. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, but but yes, for for doing that off the top of your head from memory, that was very well done. Yeah, okay. yeah, you even Thank did you. some scenes that hey. I had forgotten, and I finished yep. this about I finished the film about ten minutes before I had to start the podcast. Twenty minutes. <laughs> okay. A couple of uh, pieces of trivia before we yes. begin our discussion in earnest half an hour into this recording. <laughs> um, again, the X-Men, uh, created in 1963 by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. The original team was Professor Xavier, Cyclops, Beast, Iceman, Angel, and Jean Grey, then called Marvel Girl. Uh, the book kind of... The book kind of flailed for a bit, yes. actually. Uh, Roy Thomas and Neil Adams did a, a decent run on it for a bit. Uh, but it really wasn't until Len Wein and Dave Cockrum relaunched the book 
in the mid-70s with a team of Cyclops, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, Storm, and Colossus. Like, yeah, Colossus. And then, and then Chris Claremont and John Byrne took over the book. That it actually became sort of the major Marvel Comics force that it has been ever since. Uh, the history of the book is far too complicated to attempt to summarize, so we're going to gloss over that. A, a couple of notes about the film. Uh, so it was directed by Brian Singer, uh, best known for The Usual Suspects and some bad movies. Um the film is built pretty strongly around Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, but Jackman was cast at the last minute and was a complete unknown when he was cast. Uh, Dougree Scott was actually cast to play Wolverine. Uh, Dougree Scott could not do the film because shooting ran long on Mission Impossible 2, in which he played the villain. I don't so, even know who this is. Who the fuck is yeah, Dougree um, Scott? He was the villain in Mission Impossible 2, so you see this scheduling thing didn't work out well for him. I don't even um, remember the villain in Mission Impossible 2. Yeah, exactly. So um, if, if Mission Impossible 2 hadn't gone long, Duttery Scott would have been this huge megastar that Hugh Jackman is, is what you're saying. Or or potentially the film... It's all John Woo's fault. Have, yeah, pretty much. So we can thank him for one thing. Um... Another casting note, so Halle Berry plays Storm. Angela Bassett was almost cast as Storm, which I actually think would have been much better casting because Angela Bassett is a strong actress and Halle Berry isn't. She has an Oscar, you bastard. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, one, one more note that I think is interesting. So the film went through 28 drafts as a script. A uh, Joss Whedon wrote a draft that was considered too pop culture uh, yes. Which, given the fact that his primary writing credit at the time was Buffy, uh, you that's you can imagine. Well, that. and Toy Story, and Toy... for which he was nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, but he followed up Toy Story with Alien Resurrection. Yeah, oh, that's true. Um, the final script, final screenplay, was written by David Hayter. Do either of you know who David Hayter is? Isn't that an actor who I'm picturing right now in my mind? You might be thinking uh, of Bill Hayter. No, I don't know who he is. <laughs> no. Uh, David Hayter, he, he is a, a sort of an actor. He is a voice actor. Specifically, okay. he is the voice of Solid Snake in the Metal Gear Solid oh, game. Okay. Oh, okay. Cool. That's why I know the name. Yeah. I'm thinking of someone else. I'm thinking of David Painter. Pamer, whatever the guy's name is. <laughs> David Pamer's X-Men. <laughs> you would recognize him if you saw him. He's a pretty well-known character. He's a character. He was, uh, you saw Get Shorty? I saw it a long time oh, ago, fine. and I remember nothing about it. How, how dare you not have deep knowledge of Get Shorty? Uh, All right. Know. You'll recognize uh, it. Yes. Doug Ray Scott was... He was in the Doctor Who episode Hide from this last season, I guess. Yeah. I haven't seen it. He was the, the ghost hunter. Guy. He played Alec Palmer, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen the last season hmm. of Doctor Who, but anyway. No. Anyway. So, X-Men, I feel like we've rambled enough. Shall we discuss the film? Uh, opening thoughts. We can start with you, Dooge. Uh, I, I've i never read the X-Men comics at all. Uh, my background in X-Men uh, is the cartoon, uh, which I watched a whole mm -hmm. lot as a kid. Uh, 
and I also had a whole bunch of Marvel cards when I was a kid. Uh, the trading cards. Fuck yeah, Marvel oh, yeah. cards. I had a ton I had of those. A whole set of I wonder if I still one. have those in I actually, a box I think somewhere. I had like two sets. But, um, yeah, so I don't know a whole lot of these characters' origin stories except from the cartoon. Like, I don't know anything about Jean Grey or Cyclops' backgrounds. But is mm-hmm. is Magneto's background, is his origin actually World War II in the comics? I know it's... Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Is. Yeah, because I was going to say... Has it always if, been? Uh, I, I believe it always has been, but bear in mind, Magneto appeared in the first issue of the X-Men, mm. which was published in 1963. Oh, okay. So the Holocaust was yeah. much fresher in memory. Yeah. At that point. Yes. Uh, and I suppose it probably hadn't been... Uh, is used as much then as it has now because uh, it it yeah. seems yeah. a little uh it seems contrived yeah yeah but it, it does make sense i suppose as a background for him for why he would hate mm-hmm. humans so much uh it's it's a good it was uh, not us at our best let's just say um <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah i i guess i liked the the first thing that I noticed was that you've got Magneto's origin story and then Rogue's origin story. So you have both of these characters discovering their powers at an emotional moment, uh, but that they're complete opposites. Uh, Magneto's is through terror and you know bad emotions, and Rogue's uh, break out through positive emotions. Uh, and I, I thought that was you know an interesting dichotomy, I suppose, uh, a good way to introduce what going through this transformation could be like for one of the characters. All right. Vester, opening thoughts. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm in much the same boat as uh, dude in terms of sort of my background with, uh, with the X-Men, particularly going into this movie the first time I saw it back around the time it came out. Uh, fun fact, I, I got my very first Marvel cards a couple steps removed from Stanley himself uh, when uh, my my mom used to work uh, in some sort of administrative role for the uh, Johnson Business School hey. back when he lived in Ithaca. And Stanley uh, came to give a talk at some point, and some, at some point through the Marvel reps, my mom happened to like end up with a couple packs of Marvel cards <laughs> and gave them to me, and that's how I started collecting those. Wow. Um, and so yeah, the, so the X Men cartoon and also video games. So like the arcade game and the X Men Two on the uh, Sega Genesis. That's a lot of my uh, sort of mm-hmm. benchmark for the series. I've read a, some of the comics, but not a whole lot. So I'm definitely not an expert on the characters. Um, I think I think this is a good movie, but not a great movie. I feel like. I feel like in a lot of the same ways as Blade, it's kind of in that place where comic book movies are sort of starting to come into their own and not be, or at least Marvel movies, because obviously there have been some good DC movies prior to this, are sort of starting to Mm -hmm. figure out, they're starting to like, they're circling the wagons and they're getting closer to uh, figuring out how to do it right. Um, And obviously they don't hit it exactly correctly. I think my biggest problem with the movie, and I mentioned this in my rambling rambling of uh recount you're tight well prepared yes uh (laughs) the amount of coincidence in the movie just seems overly contrived like i can buy i can buy that wolverine and rogue run into each other because obviously there's going to be particularly at the beginning of a movie a fair amount of coincidence Mm -hmm. but then when 
in this tiny little spot in the middle of fucking nowhere, Alaska, or not Alaska, but somewhere in Canada, uh, all of these things uh, converge in much the same way as they do in uh, Captain America in now the that same I think part about of the it. World. Yes. <laughs> There's something about Marvel movies and bizarre coincidences, everybody converging on the same place in Captain America. Yeah, I like Canada. that I was. I like that I, I that was, was like coming to this realization on my own, and then I look down and see your mm-hmm. images, and it's clear that both of you have figured out that where oh, yeah. I'm going with this, and you're like, yeah, he's doing it, he's going there. <laughs> uh, and I was only like in the process. You got there before I did. Uh, so yeah, that, that whole sequence where fucking out of nowhere, uh, like half a dozen mutants are suddenly all in the same place all at once, I find strange strains my credulity. Uh and again, I'm not a particularly big fan of Wolverine, so the fact that Wolverine is the sort of de facto hero of the X-Men mm-hmm. movies, and to an extent he is a lot in the comics these days. I mean, he's obviously a breakout character. He's the Fonz of the uh, of the <laughs> X-Men in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, I certainly wouldn't mind less emphasis on Hugh Jackman's role in this. Well, but, you, guess what? You've got a lot more films to get through before you get that. Uh, Thankfully, by the time we get to first class, I'll only have to think about Hugh Jackman for about five seconds. Ah. <laughs> uh, now, Nick, in your summary, you uh, suggested that initially, when when everyone converges on Wolverine and Rogue, they were already that uh, Magneto had already sent them to get Rogue specifically at this point. Is is that what you meant? Because I did not get that at I all from the film. That's my understanding. But that, that is the impression that I got. What I don't okay. understand is how Magneto knew to track her down, given that no connection between the characters had been established. Okay, at that point, yeah. I well, thought that I mean, what was happening the... was that uh, Professor X and Magneto were both trying to recruit random mutants. Uh, I admit that maybe this isn't suggested in the film this is just how i how i had always put it together that both of them were trying to uh recruit mutants to their cause and so they were going out and getting any mutants that they could find and they were both going for wolverine who just happened to have met up with rogue uh and then uh then they found out about rogue later although it's never clear to me how magneto finds out about rogue at all no, I think the I think the uh, I think the film. I mean, I can understand why you would see that, but I think there are several lines that make it fairly clear that uh, that Rogue is the ob- objective the entire time, and that Wolverine and the X Men just kind of get in the way. Uh, okay, yeah. Most most notably, there is the scene where on the train where he finally catches up with both Wolverine and Rogue. Uh, he yes. makes that comment about, "Oh, I was never after you. It's her I want." That's not an exact I quote, that but that's. Uh, I thought and that was in that and instance that he, he had, just, oh, he had yeah. she had become a target since their first encounter. Uh, mm. That she had not been the initial well, target. See, well, he's certainly already uh, in the process of figuring out his machi- his mutant radiation machine at that part early in the movie. And mm. he must know that it's not going to work for him to do it, I think. Although it's possible yeah. he only learns that after he does that to the senator. Yeah, and I, uh, I'm, but I'm, I, I I'm think he with, did know. I, I'm with Bester on this one. Um, a, a couple of of points to sort of keep in mind as as we move forward here in our discussion of this. Uh, one, Bester, you talked about this 
coming at a particular place in the history of Marvel movies. You know, this was shortly after Blade. This was 2000. Uh, Mm -hmm. The Batman series over at Warner said, uh, flamed out in the most glorious way possible after Batman and Robin. Um, I'm really sad that we, at some point we need to do like a bonus podcast where we just get all of, all of us together and we just talk about how much we love Batman and Robin. Cause I'm pretty sure a... we could talk about Batman and Robin for like five hours. <laughs> it's so per. It's so perfect. You guys can. Uh, I still have yet to watch it a second time in my life. <laughs> what? You're missing out. What? How is it possible that you have not been there? Like fresh, like sophomore year, we watched that movie like four or five times. How are you yeah. not there for any of those? How is it possible that we have this conversation every single time Batman and Robin comes <laughs> up? <laughs> because it never makes sense to me that you haven't seen it as much as we have. It never makes sense. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. But we're talking about X-Men here, yes. not about Batman right. and Robin. Um, so 2000, this was post-Blade. It was also post-Matrix. Um oh. And there are sort of pieces of the visual language of the film. Uh, the leather, some uh, questionable and unnecessary bullet time effects, such as yeah, when yeah. Jean, Jean Grey goes bullet time to pick up a syringe for a slow-moving medical procedure. <laughs> um, Not gratuitous at yeah, all. I don't know what you're talking about. But but when we talk about the wait, you know, being able to draw on the language and legacy I, of comic book. Hold films. on a second. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't think that that was bullet time. I thought it was actually moving in slow motion because she was doing it with her mind. It okay. wasn't at normal speed, I, but slowed down for the effect. Uh, okay. Yes. All right. Go on. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> both. The answer is both. It's both of okay. those things. I mean, there is a yep. there is a narratively justifiable reason that they use that effect there. But it's also very clearly aping uh, okay. the Matrix's style. Maybe it's just become so ubiquitous that I didn't even register yeah. it as bullet time. Well, the, yeah. uh, the point <coughs> is that there are a number of things in the film, both as a comic book film and as an action-adventure film with the sci-fi bent coming out of the year 2000, that are very much of its time. Uh, witness the opening credits, for instance, <laughs> with its wonderful computer-generated neon moving through what appears to be strands of DNA yeah. and a very 90s, like, impact font. Yes. Um, when I think about this film, there are a few, a few things that bother me. And gen- generally, I'm of the opinion that it is it is a good, not great film. Yep. Um, sort of broadly to summarize my thesis, um, I, I think that the film it handles its the themes that it's trying to get across relatively well. It is by and large well <coughs> cast. Um. The plot, while not spectacular, is serviceable. Um, and it doesn't make the mistake of trying to do too much at once. I mean, we, we talk about X-Men as being this absurdly convoluted narrative in comics, and the film did a very good job of keeping that world small for an introduction. Yeah. I think those are the positives. The, the negatives that work against it for me um, that I think we can work through. One is the fact that it is incredibly Wolverine-centric. Two, I actually thought the film was too short. Um, it was only about an hour and 40 minutes long. And there are characters in the film, specifically Cyclops and Storm, that are really shortchanged in terms of yes. their potential development. So even lengthening the film to two hours, uh, I think would have 
tremendously benefited those two characters. There's one scene in particular I'm thinking of where Professor X, spoiler alert, is in a coma. And Cyclops is sitting next to him, giving sort of this heartfelt speech about, you know, how he's going to take care of the X-Men and everything good that he learned, he learned from Xavier. And that's all well and good, and it's a nice emotional moment from him. But the fact that we have absolutely no setup as to what Cyclops' relationship with Xavier really is and how much that means to him renders the scene you know, hard to dig into from a dramatic perspective. Yeah. So lengthening the film by about 20-30 minutes to bring it to a two-hour running time might have helped. And then uh, the, the other issue... and. Maybe the way we can go through this, we'll do this, then we can do some Wolverine talk, because I really want to get your thoughts on this. Is the issue of continuity? Fuck, we have to talk about Wolverine so much in this podcast, don't we? God yeah. damn it. Well, wait a minute. So, so co- 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 continuity. I'm sorry, dude. Uh, no, go ahead. Okay, so continuity. This is the first film in what is now a series of, I guess, the seventh film is getting ready to come out? Um. Yeah. Yes. Yes. The main three, first class, seven. two it, two Wolverines. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> having seen the other films, uh, there are a number of areas where this film and those films have pretty serious continuity issues, timeline issues, relationship issues, technology issues. Should Should we discuss and, that though? I feel like that would be more well, apt later. The, but go ahead. Well, that, 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 that's the point. Okay. So we are viewing this now mm-hmm. from 2013. Yeah. Film came out in 2001. 2000, wasn't it? To, to us, uh, 2000, yeah. I'm sorry. To us, these, these films are, are frozen in time. Like, we, we can watch them whenever. It doesn't really matter when they came mm-hmm. out. We notice the continuity errors now. They weren't continuity errors when this movie was made. Uh. Is it valid for us to allow the fact that we now recognize them as continuity errors to affect how we view the film, given where we sit? I would say no, because Brian Singer was just making an original film at the time. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. The He can't be responsible for the decisions of others later on, um, even if—are you, are you referring to uh, Magneto's helmet? Because that's the big one that I noticed. Uh, oh, there, there were a couple things. One was Magneto's helmet. Um, <clears throat> two, I'm sorry, what about the helmet? I need more on this. What are you, uh, what are you so referring it, to? You explain it. As in, in this, uh, it's a surprise to Xavier that Magneto has this helmet that can block Xavier's mind-reading powers, correct? Oh, I see. Yes. And yeah. as I recall, I don't know whether this is true in the comics, but in first class, uh, Professor Xavier is the one who makes the helmet for him so that he will be able to feel comfortable that... No, no, Am I wrong? no, that's not that's not what happens. Okay. That's not what happens in first class. Okay. In first class, the helmet was made by the Russians for oh, Sebastian yeah. Shaw. You're right. You're right. And Magneto, after killing Shaw, takes the helmet from him. Am... This this is a major plot point in the movie because yeah. Xavier cannot stop Shaw as long as he has the helmet. Am I remembering? So Xavier knows. Is is the story that I'm remembering from the comics? Do you know? Maybe now Xavier. Xavier and Magneto built Cerebro together. Yeah, according to yeah, I remember it. I film. remember your version is being correct. Now I just yeah. I completely misremembered it. Yeah. But I I was under the impression that in the comics 
or in some version of it, Magneto made the helmet, or Professor X made the helmet for him uh, as a you know a sign of their friendship. But that that may be yeah, possible in the I comics. Don't know. The, the, <coughs> the other big continuity error that that jumped to me and and Bester, we're going to move on to your favorite topic here, is uh, the relationship between Xavier and Wolverine, because we see in subsequent films particularly X-Men Origins and X-Men First Class, that there is nothing mysterious about Wolverine to Xavier. <laughs> Ignoring the fact that Xavier is yes. a mind reader. Like, it is very clearly established in both of those films that Xavier knows who Wolverine is, knows <coughs> basically everything about him. And yet in yep. this film, treats him largely as a stranger. Okay. Now, we, we can fan-wank and say that, you know, that that is Xavier in the film trying to make sure Logan can find his own path. <laughs> At times, though, it comes across like him really being a dick. The case in point being when Logan wakes up in the, uh, in the X-Mansion and is running around, and Xavier is planting whispers in his fucking head. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I didn't... I didn't remember that. It's it's been none of these films have a particular coherency for me overall because yeah. I've yeah. watched each of them one time, uh, and this one I had not seen since it was in theaters. Uh, wow. No, I guess I've seen X Men Two or X Two a few times, but anyway, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I hadn't seen this since I watched it in the theater, and I so I, I didn't pick up on that. I had completely forgotten that Professor X ever knew who Wolverine was ahead of time. Um, but it just seemed realistic to me that he was reading the situation as obviously uh, Wolverine is trying to escape, so he's guiding him towards his office in a way that mm -hmm. uh, works with how Wolverine is feeling with his like emotions in that moment, but without ever actually being confrontational or doing anything that would hurt him. Well, see, that, that, that's what I mean about watching it from our perspective now versus mm -hmm. when these films came out. Because having watched the subsequent films, that scene plays very differently. Yeah. And I don't think it does so because there was, you know, a hard authorial intent <laughs> to have this scene play differently yeah. after later films. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would agree with that. Yep. Uh, I have a question. Yes. At the beginning of this movie, are there only three X-Men? It's just Jean Grey, Cyclops, and Storm at the beginning, and perhaps Professor X if you want to count him as a member of the team. Which that, seems that, like an incredibly small team by that, any standard. That's my read on it. Although, again, in, in later films we see, okay, Beast was a member of the team, yeah. and you know, Havoc was, I mean, we, we see that, but yeah. for all intents and purposes, this is a three-person operation. And presumably yeah. a three-teacher school as well. Four teachers if we count Professor yeah. X. Yeah. Which, which I think, I think plays into the. I mean, it's definitely good that they uh, don't go overboard on the number of characters there. There's definitely, there's definitely, you run the risk of like, and this is a ten-person team of people with crazy powers, mm -hmm. which would obviously be too much. But it definitely does seem, particularly for a, for a comic book which is known for its sprawling world building for its very large cast mm -hmm. i think they perhaps o overly erred on the side of caution and went with 
the best known, easiest to explain characters. Mm -hmm. And I feel like even just throwing one or two more people into the mix, one or two more people on the on the X Men would have made it feel more like a team than it does. Yeah. It really ju it really just seems like bossy Cyclops in his jet and two other ladies. I I think that's fair. Uh, yeah, I agree with what you said earlier, Stefan, about feeling like this movie. I think it could have been fine if it were just, you know, 15 minutes longer or even 10 minutes longer and they'd added mm -hmm. one scene uh, for each of um, Cyclops, Jean Grey, Storm, uh, and probably Toad and Sabretooth. Uh, because... Uh, Sabretooth. Yeah, Toad yeah. and Sabretooth, they're, they're just kind of there. Particularly Toad. Well, Particularly Toad, yeah. who just seems to be well, there to like Sabretooth mock is, the is, other I'm, people. He's I'm just actually... there too, but he's there more. So even though you don't know yeah, anything I, more about him, uh, I feel like you actually know yeah. less about Sabretooth uh, because it's not clear at all what he has in any way that's a power. He's just a big guy. And, and, and I actually, I, I'm going to go against you here, Buster. I actually think Toad was used much better in this than Sabretooth was because Toad, no. Toad is, yeah. in every definition of his character, he's a henchman. Like, it, it's, it is his job to be outlandish and occasionally yeah. poke at people and be occasionally cool but mostly ineffectual. Like, that's the Toad character. Uh, Sabretooth is a, a much richer character in the original adaptation and has a significantly more complicated relationship with Wolverine. And because the film is built around Wolverine, well, of course you have to have Sabretooth in there, but given the depth of their relationship in the source material, just reducing Sabretooth to, ah, his power, he's, he's a big guy, and he's around. Um, he's got black eyes. I, I, th I think really hurts. Exactly. exactly. But, and sharp teeth, and occasionally growls. Yeah. Um, I think that's fair. I, I um, think that that, that hurts. Here's a, I have a question for you. As Stefan, as the yeah. as the one who I think knows the most about the comics, um, was Mystique a major figure in X Men prior to these movies? Because obviously, a lot of the movies, she kind of becomes one of the primary antagonists, or at least one of the primary characters of these movies. And I I distinctly remember when I first saw this, never having heard of Mystique before. She was all over the and the my impression is show. that was she? Yeah, yeah. Maybe I yeah, just had forgotten about her. Mystique was a pretty well-established X-Men antagonist. Um, she was probably not on the same level as like Magneto or uh, the Sentinels or, or characters like that, but was certainly noteworthy. Now, I, I think the, the films elevated okay. her for, for a few different reasons. One, because, uh, and this is continuing on our discussion of the henchmen in the movie, uh, she is such a weird presence in this movie. The the way that they designed her makeup, the way that they mm -hmm. you know, shot her in terms of her physicality, her fights, you know, all of that is in the context of a film that, you know, for all of its fantastical elements, really downplays a lot of the more outlandish elements of the X-Men. It's a fairly simple continuity. They're not running around in bright spandex. You know, there are no aliens and they're not being sucked into other dimensions. She is the most sort of outlandish, bizarre mm -hmm. character. I yeah. think she 
they had her in the first film, it made that impression, and then because of that impression, it became easy to elevate her in subsequent films. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I guess uh, I guess I had forgotten her role in the cartoons. It's been a very, very long time since I watched the cartoons. Yeah. So I had forgotten she was in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What was I just about to say? Uh... Oh, that I I did feel like they probably could have used the, another character on the main X Men team. the The big one who feels like he's lacking is Beast, um, mostly because yeah. I just know that he was one of the founding members of the the X Men in the comics, or at least to my yeah. understanding. I think Beast and uh, X or uh, Siren and Iceman were early. Uh, 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 no, uh, Beast, Angel, Iceman, Cyclops, and Jean Grey. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, and I also uh, think yeah, Angel, I think Beast um, I think Beast works also would also work well just because he's he's a relatively simple character. He's not he doesn't have he has a very self evident mutant power. Like just looking at him, mm-hmm. you can you can tell right away he's a mutant, and you don't have to like go into like a whole <laughs> lot of convoluted detail. as like this is what my power does. This is how it works. Yeah, kind of thing. You and, can just kind of have him there. Um, and and when when they do finally roll out Beast in The Last Stand, and especially in First Class, uh, they, they get a lot of mileage out of him. Yeah. And, and he yeah, works very well in those... Con- yeah. Uh, um, now, now, we talk about the main X-Men team with those four characters, but you do have Iceman and Rogue sort of circling around the periphery. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well. But as students. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think of this... I think of the two main characters in this film... As being well, Magneto obviously and Professor X, but as being Rogue and Wolverine, and I, I, okay. oh yeah, absolutely. It's easy to say that it's it's Wolverine is the main character, but I kind of felt like the emotional force of the film is supposed to be on Rogue's uh, so, story. So I, I want to talk about this because there there was something I picked up watching it this time that, from a narrative perspective, was really interesting. At the beginning of the film you do kind of establish Rogue as your, your point of view identification character, and she yeah. you know, has the, the tragedy at her home. She goes up to Canada. She meets Wolverine in the bar. And there is a point where after Wolverine has shot his calls out for the first time, Wolverine leaves the bar and gets into his truck uh, his truck to drive away. And, of course, we find out Rogue is in the back of the truck and all that. But there's a moment when he gets into the truck and he kind of holds his knuckles there for a minute before he rolls off. And at that moment, that's the point where the protagonist of the film switches from being Rogue to being Wolverine. Because okay. up until that moment, we have seen every event happening yeah. there through Rogue's eyes. Yeah. And that's the moment where it switches to seeing it through Wolverine's yeah, eyes. You're right. And even though Rogue remains sort of the emotional core of the film, it's from that point on very much Wolverine's story. Yeah. Uh-huh. I would agree with that. Uh, I think that's I was watching exactly this with a friend, and he, uh, uh, what his comment uh, when Anna Paquin leaves the bar and runs after Wolverine was that this is Little Red Riding Hood running off with the Big Bad Wolf, uh, which I thought was very uh, ah, I like that very astute. Um, but just to jump back a second, um, I didn't. I guess I felt like it was a small X Men team, but as I was watching the film, I never felt like it needed to have more X-Men. I just felt that mm-hmm. uh, it it very clearly felt like an origin, or like a movie that takes place at the beginning of the X-Men, like before they really have become a coherent 
entity because it seems clear to me that they don't exist on any kind of national stage yet that I would be surprised if they have done anything together like as a group in terms of going out and having a mission before going out to get Wolverine or and or Rogue except <laughs> as we find out in a subsequent film stop the Cuban Missile Crisis well yes of course there is yes. that but they've done know, that just based on this film but they <laughs> Yes they, yes. they 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 lay low after that. They don't want to like become overexposed. So yeah. Cuban Missile Crisis. Then they just wait until Sabretooth's attacking some people out in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Because Canada is where the action happens in the Marvel U- Cinematic Universe. It really uh, is. I mean, yeah. let's for, let's not. When we get to X two, most of that's go- a lot of that's going to be taking place in at, Canada. Mm-hmm. And not su- not surprisingly, these movies were made in Canada. <laughs> Yes, uh, no, that's that's true. Yeah, as I mentioned, <coughs> Castle Loma and uh, one thing Toronto I'd like to being the X Mansion uh, mm-hmm. as an as an early comic book film for Marvel, but just in general, uh, Nick has already run us through the single worst line in the film, uh, and probably the only I feel like it's the only line that Storm has that's like a Storm line, uh, you know, like a yeah. one liner or something like that. That is a line that, yeah. to me, is very clearly a comic book line because it's yes. it's a, several sentences that take place in an action sequence with a break in the middle. Yeah. And that kind of thing works flat on the page because you can have a character have an entire dialogue bubble that's got ten sentences as they hit someone. And you don't ever need to think about yeah. the fact that they're talking while they're punching someone because it's just on the page. But when you do that in a movie and you have to stagger this – then you have to have something snappy. Like shortly after that, you have Stick probably a, yeah. Wolverine's best line, which is, uh, "How do we know it's really you? You're a dick." Okay, it's him. That's snappy. <laughs> like that's perfect. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, that is. A that's line. a movie line, but yeah, yeah. There, there are some things that you can do in comic books that you can't do in films, and one of them is that god awful Toad line. <sighs> And it, it it doesn't help that Halle Berry delivers it in a really uh, terrible pseudo-African accent. Yeah. The, which she yeah. dropped in later films. It, it's frustrating to me that the two... I, I think that this movie is really perfectly cast, except for Halle Berry and Anna Paquin. And even Anna Paquin isn't really... She's not bad in this. I just think in general she's, she's n- not a very good actress. But I think she does a better job in this film than she does in a lot of her films. But... Uh, or in a lot of her roles, I guess. Uh, You're going after the Oscar winners, you <laughs> bastards. What does she want an Oscar for? Fly Away Home? The Piano. Uh, the Piano. What? The Piano. The Piano? She, the the piano. piano. She was She was one of the youngest Oscar winners. At I've never I, even heard I of that. I think she is the youngest Oscar winner. It was a movie right, in well, 93. Did, didn't Tatum O'Neill win an Oscar? Uh, yeah, was, I, like, think Anna pa- I think Anna Paquin was younger. Uh, okay. I think Anna Paquin is the youngest Academy Award oh, winner. I've never uh, heard of it's it. It's a uh, New Zealand or Australian movie uh, ah. starring Harvey Cattell <laughs> and uh, Holly, Holly Hunter. Hunter. Okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, 93 okay. and 94, she won an Oscar. The, the first movie I was aware so of if, her if you're just, been in yeah. was Fly Away Home. Uh, so if you're just uh, tuning in, we're discussing the piano <laughs> this week on Cinema Excelsior. <laughs> <laughs> um... No, I, I think that that's... I, I agree. I don't think the film <coughs> needed another X-Men. I, an X-Man. Uh, I, I'm going to... I don't think Anna Paquin was bad, and I don't really think Anna Paquin's a bad actress. I just don't think 
nothing about her registers as rogue for me as that particular character. Okay. Storm, I think, was miscast. Like, I, I do not think that Halle... I don't think Halle Berry is a particularly good actress, mm-hmm. and I don't think that she was good for that role. I mean, I mm-hmm. mentioned Angela Bassett earlier. I think Angela Bassett would have been a much better Storm yeah. than Halle Berry. In Halle Berry's defense, um, though, I think that they did. They had absolutely no idea how to write for Storm. That she... There's, no, there's nothing present have. in the film for her. She's got no substance to work with. Um, well, and... and and that, that leads to the other character that gets shortchanged, Cyclops. Yeah. Talk about having no substance yes. to work with. And I, I generally like James Marsden. I have no issue with him as an actor. I have enjoyed him in things. Um, but he, he has nothing to work no. with. And I, Bester, I am sure that you're going to have thoughts on this. Um, I think that the problem is. He, like most every character in the film, is defined almost entirely by his relationship to Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that, that that's certainly the problem uh, yeah. with Jean Grey, that she has nothing to do in the film yeah. other than be with, you know, be a counter to Wolverine. Yeah, exactly. Other than be Fomka Jansen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, that's definitely the main problem, is that he's just there to be a dick to Wolverine and for us to not like him for that because Wolverine's the cool guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he just gets to be bossy, no fun guy with eye beams, uh, mm-hmm. and there's a lot more to that character than that. And and you were talking about how nothing really about uh, his talking about, or one of you, maybe it was Dude, who said that, uh, the, him talking over the comatose uh, Professor X, talking yeah. about how important uh, he was to him. There's nothing there for that to land. There's nothing. There's nothing in the movie that make, establishes why he is or should be the leader of this group. He's just kind of there because he's the pretty white guy, so obviously you're going to make him be the leader. Um, and uh, there's just a lot more to the character, and it does the character a disservice and probably contributes a lot to the reason that a lot of people dislike Cyclops. I find that he's generally a fairly unpopular uh, X-Man, and I'm sure that the films have done a lot to contribute to that. I I think the animated series did a lot yeah. to contribute to that. My impression <laughs> of Cyclops is that he has just always been the straight man on the team, you know, uh, not from a sexual standpoint, but from a comedic standpoint, that he's just, he's the good by-the-books cop. Uh, he's responsible uh, and yeah. the leader, and he's always telling people, you know, we have to blah 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 and this was what the professor would blah 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 so if I, if I can make a, a detour into nerdiness on this podcast. Um, Don't you do it. I, that, that is the popular perception of Cyclops, dude. It's, you know, he's the straight man. But again, that kind of defines him purely by his relationship to Wolverine. The, the crux of the Cyclops character is Xavier is the guy who articulated this vision of what responsible mutant leadership is and how that coexists with society and all of that. Cyclops is the guy who actually has to live that ideal. And so, so much of his character is wrapped up in him trying to live up to the ideal that Xavier lays down and how torturous that is on him and how hard that is on him to the point where in more recent 
comics over the last five years, the central crux of his character has been how he has failed to live up to that idea. Mm. And in contemporary Marvel comics, Cyclops, I mean, Magneto is still around, but for all intents and purposes, Cyclops has become the Magneto of the Marvel Universe. Huh. Because he he has lost faith in Xavier's vision of peaceful coexistence. Uh, I've not... I don't think I've read any X-Men comics since uh, Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men run, so that's all uh-huh. That's all news to me. Uh, yeah. And if I may just quickly go back, you are correct, Tatum O'Neill is the younger winner. She was uh, 10 years uh, yes! old when she won. Anna Paquin was 11 when she won. Take that, Anna Paquin fans. <laughs> Anna, pa- Anna Paquin is only the second youngest winner. Uh, what Question, what is Cyclops's origin story like who is scott summers i don't know who scott summers is i don't know oh, who christ Jean Grey is like i don't know where these characters okay. i don't even know i i know some about storm uh but mm-hmm. like well scott isn't, isn't scott summers father like a space pirate isn't that his okay. story let's talk about corsair? convoluted backstories <laughs> it's corsair corsair is cyclops's father <laughs> yeah, i had and the here, corsair action figure when i was a kid because he was an x-man what, and here's the pirate what happened. <laughs> Here's, here's what happened. Uh, Cyclops, his mother, his younger brother who became Havoc, and their father were flying in a like little four, uh, you know, a private plane, like a, a, a plane that someone would have. Um, they were about to be abducted by aliens. Oh God. Uh, Corsair, who was not Corsair at that point, and his wife, uh, strapped the parachutes that they had <laughs> onto, what, why they had two and not four, I'm not entirely sure, uh, but strapped, strapped the parachutes to Cyclops and his brother and threw them out of the plane. I hope that they were automatic opening. Uh, they, they both landed, but Cy- Cyclops, when he, when he landed, uh, kind of knocked his head on the ground, mm-hmm. which was the original explanation for why he didn't have great control over his power. Oh. Since then, it's been like more psych- It's been built more psychologically, and then the two brothers were separated and grew up in in orphanages and foster homes until Xavier found Cyclops. And Xavier, through that, because Cyclops yeah. didn't have a father or a mother at that point, Xavier became his father. Okay, that makes a lot more sense, and I wish that that had been included in that anything. does not make any sense there is no <laughs> rational world in which that makes no, sense no. hold on that makes well, a lot more sense given the, the character alien abduction that airplane is. part of it but because uh, a lot of the problems that i have with cyclops are that i don't understand why he is so uh why is i mean obviously he's loyal to professor x because professor x is a good man with a vision for the future but i never understood why he why he had trouble aiming his power when his his power is based on vision, and so he should never ever miss because whatever he looks at is what he hits. So, it... well, it's 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 not the aim that's the issue; it's the fact that he can't turn it off. Oh, okay. Like that's gotcha. the result of him banging. Okay. It, he 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 doesn't have a lazy eye, dude. <laughs> He's not like looking in two different directions <laughs> because he banged his head. Uh, but yeah, I mean that that uh, uh, it adds a lot to my understanding of him as a character, I guess, because. Uh, yeah, he was just a blank slate before. Um, yeah, and, and is treated as such in this. Film? Yeah. Also, I would like to point out so that people always make fun of. So his parents are abducted. Uh, 
people always make fun of skydivers wearing helmets, but that is why you wear a helmet when you're skydiving. <laughs> it's so when you hit the ground and you hit your head, you are fine. It's not so that if your parachute doesn't open, you survive. <laughs> Sorry, that's, go on, Nick. That's entirely reasonable. Mm -hmm. uh, so his parents are abducted and they become space pirates? Yes. Okay, don't, don't tell me anything more. Just leave it there. <laughs> Yes. Okay. I, okay. Perfect. <laughs> is his let me, mom also a space pirate? Or is I, it I, I honestly can't remember what happened to his mom. I think okay. she is. I'm not positive. And Corsair, I, definitely, though. Okay, yeah. And if I remember correctly, they did... I, I know that the third Summer's brother was like a long-standing possibility. I think they I think they have at some point established that they, there is a third did, one. But they, I they fucking did. don't know who it is. And he is a space tyrant named Vulcan. God damn it. Why did I even bring it up? I knew it was going to be something stupid. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So You're suggesting stupid. that something from the extended universe of a comic book series is stupid? <laughs> hey, Particularly it... the X-Men. The X-Men, which has this very, very bad habit of sprawling out in uh, very ridiculous ways. Hey. It could have been worse. For a while, people thought it would be Gambit. Uh, oh, God. I, I realized something while watching this movie. Uh, based yes. on the films and the uh the cartoon series are all of the x-men villains like i never see the x-men get involved in anything remotely resembling fighting regular crime it seems like they always respond to things where people are attacking mutants for being mutants or attacking humans in the name of mutants that that's certainly like the modus operandi and in large mm -hmm. part, that's because of the, you know, the mission that Xavier's established. Mm -hmm. Like, he, he's trying to promote peaceful coexistence between mutants and, and humans. Uh, so, so that historically has been the focus. Now, not every X-Men villain is a mutant. And there has been kind of a concentrated effort over the last couple of years in particular to branch them out a little bit more. But historically, it's it's mutant versus mutant, or mutant versus mutant killing robot, mm -hmm. or mutant versus transdimensional extraterrestrial. Oh yeah, there are being. a lot of aliens. Um, so many yeah, aliens. Yeah, but it seems like it's always yeah, they're they either standing up. Like I guess I think of them as being the social justice mutants, because mm -hmm. uh, for one thing, I've always thought of uh, the X Men as being allegorical for racism in a way and now probably homophobia no, as well no, I, I, I don't see it i don't see it no i don't uh, where are you getting this from <laughs> what are you talking about that's the most insane interpretation of the x-men i've ever heard race in a fortune cookie. race how could that be there uh but uh even like the the aliens that they fight are usually you know a threat to the whole of the species or the planet it's yeah you know they're not fighting yeah. the lizard mm -hmm. or the joker uh it's yeah yeah that, 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 that's true and i think that that's a sort of a nice transition into uh the character that bester referred to as senator mccarthy <laughs> yeah uh which okay, is yeah. uh senator, Se senator robert yeah. kelly pl played by kelly, the you. great <laughs> bruce davison who i love yes. in everything mr henderson he's a great um, character actor he he was uh, he was Willard in the original Willard. No, no, he has only ever been was Mr. He? Henderson from Harry and the Hendersons. Okay. <laughs> oh, from the TV thought, show Harry yes. and the Hendersons. I, uh, yeah. John Lithgow. Is I was like, John Lithgow will John always Lithgow. be my Mr. Sorry, Henderson. Sorry, I've never seen the film. I've only seen the the TV show. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, I um, I was disappointed actually in how two dimensional his character felt because it seems to me that his stance yes. is extremely sympathetic from a rational point of view. Uh, if yeah. if you're a human, then yes, these people have extraordinary, terrifying powers, and of course you'd want to know who they mm-hmm. are. But as soon as it bleeds over into flat out racism when he's ranting at the the character who turns out to be mm-hmm. Mystique, like then yep. he stops being sympathetic to me because it's not just, you know, I'm watching out for, like, my children. It's yeah. just, eh, send all these people to camps. Rah. I, I agree, yeah. and I think that the, uh, you know, the, the reality of the film is a lot of his fears are shown to be fairly well-founded. <laughs> he is abducted by mutants, genetically transformed, and killed. <laughs> Yeah, but the 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 way that it is again, this is where I think that the the film is too short argument comes into play, because there is very clearly through the experience that he goes through, um, a, a transition for him. Like he 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 goes through an experience that opens his eyes to to who these people actually are and and the sort of complexities that go along there. But it feels like the the middle part of that transition was was cut out. And as a result, you've got him being like, I'm going to kill all the mutants because they're uh, not my... Uh, ah. Yeah. And then he's a dead water monster. <laughs> yes. Once he becomes a water monster. Two, yep. Two, two things about him. Um, and then, Bester, I thought that you had something to say. One, uh, when he escapes from Magneto's hideout and then washes up on a beach... Um, to anyone who is standing there who wasn't looking when he was like transforming, who just saw him, all they saw was a U.S. senator walking around naked on a beach. Yes. <laughs> that is an excellent point. <laughs> which, which probably would have been news. Um, and second, when he... I noticed this this time watching it. When he is driving to his helicopter with his aide, who turns out to be Mystique, and he gets out and he waves, and there are people there with signs up and all that stuff. One of the signs says in big bold letters, send mutants to the moon forever. (laughs) Yes. I saw that sign too. It was an amazing sign. And not only that, it's a sign that's shaped like a mountain. (laughs) It's a sign that's shaped like a mountain for some reason. It's like it's cra- up it looks to like the moon. It's like shaped like the Matterhorn, uh, or like uh, from Disney. What's World. the name of the mountain? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, the mountain from Disney World. Yeah, that's the Matterhorn uh, thing. And it's oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. I think it's also. Um, that, I'm pretty sure that that's the uh, the mountain from the Paramount logo, but I'm not sure. Uh, I think that's oh, the yes. Matterhorn. Oh, you know what mountain I was thinking of? Space Mountain. That was the one I was thinking of. <laughs> uh, oh, you you mean the mountain in space. that is named after the place where the moon is. Yes. <laughs> yes. Space Mountain. Uh, that's obviously, but yeah, it's this that's weird mountain-shaped sign that says, send them to the moon forever. It's, a, it's an amazing <laughs> sign. Yeah, I saw that too. I don't think I noticed it before. That's a great sign. Uh, yeah. But I mean, that that... that... The whole Senator Kelly thing, mm-hmm. and then sort of the way in which the conflict between Xavier and Magneto is presented, uh, I, I thought was was nice. It was fairly nuanced, generally speaking, but it, it felt like it needed more. It, it needed more time, particularly on the Kelly side. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> 
I do love though. At the end of the film, when Mystique is now masquerading as Senator Kelly, and the way they find out is watching a national news broadcast and seeing his eyes turn bright yellow. No one notice. else notices. Nope. It's like it's They're like in that path. clip from Grimm. The only part of Grimm I've ever seen where it turns out that Hitler was a werewolf. But no one had noticed earlier. <laughs> Dude, have you seen this? No, no, of course I have not seen that. It's incredible. <laughs> Why would I have seen that? Incredible. Yeah, I don't think I don't think either of us watch Grimm at all. But there's this fantastic <laughs> clip where he like he digs out a uh, like an old he like 35 millimeter, the main character, uh, clip of Hitler giving a speech, which he owes for some reason. And in the middle of this speech, like very bad CGI, uh, Hitler momentarily morphs into a werewolf and morphs back into Hitler. And evidently, nobody at any point in history has ever noticed this before. He's the first one to pick up on the fact that Hitler... Well, hold on. It was a full moon during the day, and the moon had just come out from behind a cloud very briefly. (laughs) That's what we call fan wine. (laughs) Yeah, Um, that that, that term made me laugh earlier. I've never heard that term before. Is that when fans try to, like, shoehorn an explanation? Uh, Okay. That, that, all right, that's good. I'll have to remember that because that's something that uh, I'm sure is going to happen a lot during this podcast. What? <laughs> the, what, what's the, the term? The beautiful thing, fan wanking. Oh, fan wanking, yeah. The, the beautiful thing about the clip is um, the way that it's shot, the revelation that Hitler is a werewolf <laughs> is we treated with the same. <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> is treated with the same dramatic weight as, like, Luke, I am your father. Like, everyone who was watching at home was supposed to go, oh my god, Hitler was a werewolf! So, in this podcast, we have now diverted from X-Men to both the piano and this one clip of Grimm that we've both seen. (laughs) Also pod people. Don't forget pod people. Oh, Oh, I know how it ties back in. Um, Yep. Um, Werewolf, Werewolf Hitler sentenced young ba- uh, tiny little baby Magneto to go into the concentration camp because he was a monster. <laughs> uh, I see, oh yes. All makes sense. Uh, hmm. I'm reading my notes. Uh, yeah. I did like the way that uh, they they explain the school and all hmm. of Professor X's stance by introducing uh, Wolverine to it. Uh, he, he becomes the exposition character in that sense. And it's immediately followed by uh, Ian McKellen explaining a couple of things to Senator Kelly, but not really because he just doesn't care because Senator Kelly is a pawn. <laughs> so it, it, was, yeah. it was a good way of introducing like stuff about the background of each character's stance, but um, through their personality, I guess. Like, uh, y- you got the background information, yeah. but also uh, who they were uh, without needing to be overly explanatory about it, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Do either oh. one of you want to complain about how horribly miscast Patrick Stewart was as Professor Xavier? <laughs> God. Uh, what were they thinking? Why would they get that man to play that role? 
Gosh. I don't I don't know who came up with so it. So dumb. So dumb. I just I uh, want to point out I know uh, this is something Patrick I... Stewart can walk. Oh. <laughs> okay? And I did not buy <laughs> that he could not walk through this building. <laughs> There's just a look in his eyes, you can tell. <laughs> I've seen a lot of seen a lot of spinals in my time, dude. <laughs> and this guy is faking. This guy He's fucking faking. walks. Uh, uh, I know this is something I briefly uh, brought up in my ranting uh, summary of the film, and I don't know if this is maybe something that bothers anybody else, but do you find the use of the X-Men's code names in the was, film kind of cumbersome? I was just going to say that, actually, because Rogue introduces herself as Rogue, but when did she come up with that name? Exactly. That was the point where it really bothered yeah, me. That's the, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that one really bothers me, but also she's like a 16-year-old girl on the yeah. run, so mm-hmm. I can definitely imagine, I'm going to be called Rogue now, <laughs> the, but... The, I, I always I always prefer it when the X-Men just use their names with each mm-hmm. other. It just seems really strange when they're, like, in the X-Mansion, mm-hmm. like, down in Cerebro, and they're calling each other Cyclops yeah. and Storm. It was like, just call him Scott. Yeah. You know his name. <laughs> the, uh, the, the two that really did bother me were Cyclops and Storm, because I mean, Wolverine, they, they established Wolverine, kind of that. And... But Wolverine is the one that they seem to do the least with. Pretty much everybody in the film seems to call him Logan. Logan. Hmm. Yep. But he well, seems they, to be they the don't only have one that familiarity with him to call him by yeah. his code name. <laughs> yeah, uh, and but and I, Gene, I do Gene I do love have kind of the name. I do kind of like the sort of look of incredulity that uh, Wolverine gives her when she re- introduces herself. Like, uh, my name's Storm. I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I think that that's again to to give a little credit to Hugh Jackman there. Um, if Wolverine is established at that point in the film as the point of view character, that's the reaction we want him to have. Because, Nick, if someone walked up to you on the street and said, hey, I'm Cyclops, <laughs> your reaction would probably probably wouldn't be, oh, yeah, hey, I'm uh, Floppy. Your reaction would probably be, uh, yeah, sure you are. But uh, you've got head. two eyes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But... If he had an eye patch, I might go with yeah. it. Uh, uh, yeah, I just, yeah, I find it, and I mean, it, I think it works better in other, in other things, because it for other superheroes, their names are alter egos in a way that it doesn't really work for the X Men. The X Men aren't don't really have secret identities. Yeah, they are most of them at least are relatively open about the fact that they are mutants. No yeah. one's wearing and, a mask. Yeah, yeah, so. And I guess it makes sense when they're out fighting crime, but in the X Mansion, down in Cerebro, when they're just you know watching a, watching a movie together, they should be calling each other Scott and Logan. <coughs> God damn it! At least Jean Grey gets to be Jean Grey all the time. They drop that stupid Marvel girl crap, and they can't call her Phoenix unless she's Phoenixing, yes. or or in Arizona. Um, yes. And we and we get to talk about the Phoenix much more once we get to Last Stand. God. Uh, where do you guys uh. know where the name Rogue does come from? Like, what what about her character is a rogue? Is it just because she feels separated to, from the human race because she physically can't that, touch people? Ca- so, to the best of my knowledge, Rogue's real name has never been established. Well, they say in this that it's Marie. In, in the co- yeah, but never in uh, the comics. Okay. I, I think that I think that I, I was reading her Wikipedia page like a, a month ago or so. And I think the comics have now followed suit and said that her name is okay. Marie. I think but she, I know for a long time they did. 
That's weird. Okay, so again, let's talk about convoluted X-Men origins. Um, Rogue was... She used to be a villain. Used to be a villain. And not only that, um, that. had a surrogate mother-surrogate-daughter relationship with Mystique. Mystique, more or less, raised Rogue. Yeah, I did know that. Um, Now, the convoluted part is Rogue in the comics has this super strength and flight power in addition to her draining power, which she got because she drained the power out of Ms. Marvel. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, also, um... At that point, though, she wasn't... She uh, she wasn't voluntarily a bad guy, right? Like, wasn't she just sort of doing what Mystique had sort of guided her to do, thinking that she was not yeah. a bad person, but that they were sort of together against the world or something like that? She, 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 you might say she was a rogue. <laughs> I think we've answered your question. Um, <laughs> nice. Um, one, I feel like we're we're sort of coming to the end of a lot of the stuff we can talk <gasps> about on this one. Although there's certainly plenty to talk about going forward. Before you make your point, dude, because you're pointing at me, there is one thing I wanna, I do want to mention in terms of like cast and crew on the film uh as i listened to the film one of the things that kind of bothered me is the music in the film is pretty weak i didn't even notice the music (laughs) exactly think think about the the uh lexicon of superhero languages on language on film you have this wonderful theme music for you know iconic characters i mean like you know john williams superman theme you know the sound of the Chris Nolan Batman movies. You know Danny Elfman's Batman theme. Yeah. I mean, that, that's important. And there really isn't any recognizable theme in this film. The music is non-existent. So I was looking into who did it and was actually kind of disappointed to learn it was Michael Kamen who did the music to this film. Um, Michael Kamen, and I, I guessed this when I heard a cue at the end of the film, Michael Kamen did two of my favorite music scores of all time in film. He did the score to Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Hmm. And he did the score to Highlander. He also scored the first three Die Hard. Wait, I thought Freddie Mercury did the score to Highlander. He did yeah, the non Freddie yeah. Mercury parts. He did the orchestral parts. <laughs> my thought, my thoughts exactly, dude. Like there were non Queen songs in uh, Are you sure? There I'm were. pretty sure it was all Queen. There were. Pretty sure it was all Queen. Um, and imagine how much better this uh, movie soundtrack had been if it was if it just all the Queen, Queen soundtrack. Yes. Yes. Just take the just take the Flash Gordon soundtrack and use it here. I really want to see. Flash. Ash Gordon, quarterback, New York Jets. Oh, God, we're going to have to pay uh, so many royalties now. Yep. I, you shouldn't have sung The Flash. It's my fault. I apologize. Uh, as I say, I had not seen this film since it was in theaters, and I remembered hating it. But as I was watching really? it, yeah, I, I did not like this movie when it came out. All of my experience hmm. with the X-Men at the time was the cartoon show, and I, I didn't care. And you were wondering where Gambit was. <laughs> well, yeah, I was. I was upset that a lot of my favorite characters were not in it. Um, I like Jubilee. <laughs> Jubilee was in it very briefly. Um, she was. She was the Asian girl with the sunglasses yes. on her head and the yellow jacket. Also, she had. She was about as important as Jubilee. Through the whole of the cartoon, she was. I never was she realized like the background that Jubilee or something? was was Asian. 
but I had never put together the yeah. fact that her name was Jubilation Lee. <laughs> Uh, although I guess Stanley oh. isn't, isn't I had, Asian. But... I had missed. Uh, I had missed her in the background uh, of this. Isn't she now a vampire? Yes. Uh, aren't we all though? Yes, aren't she we is. all? Uh, good. Good point. But I. So as I was watching it. Uh, oh. Yeah. I. I didn't yes, understand God why they had to have, why actually, they had to have uh, black leather costumes instead of the classic yellow and blue. Now that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, at the time, I was 16 when this came out last time, and I'm. Yeah much older than that now uh so i was just really disappointed in it the first in the first time around uh and i was really surprised as i was watching it this time how much i liked it that through through you know i was sitting down watching the film and just waiting for it to be bad and i was shocked by i was like okay i'm actually kind of interested in these characters i i'm trying to imagine what it would be like to watch this as someone who had no background with the x-men and i felt like they were doing a really good job and then it got to the last act, which I think is just awful. <laughs> the fights, uh, yes. the fights are boring. I, I just, I didn't care about any of it. Once, uh, once they kidnapped Rogue uh, on the train, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe it's because that's when it becomes really Toad and Sabretooth and general, like generally kind of villainy heavy, uh, and. I didn't feel it, like they had developed very any of that. Comic book-y. Yeah, and yeah. I didn't feel like they knew what they were doing with it. But also, God, just the the saber tooth Wolverine fight on the Statue it's of Liberty um, is not good. Yeah, it's the, everything about the the Mystique fight, like where she's backing up that pipe on the wall, uh, and it looks like she's got some kind of anti gravity power. Like it, just a lot of it was very frustrating, um, and. Yeah, I just felt, I guess, like the whole climax was boring. And then I re- realized why I had such a bad impression of the film uh, through all of these years. It's because the end of it is simply not good. But Yeah. Yeah, no, the ending. I, re- I remember while I was giving my ranting uh, summary, I got to the end. I was like, I don't want to describe this, so it's over. They win. <laughs> that was essentially my, like, all right, I've described how Mystique does it. I A don't care and B kind of don't remember what happens to Toad and Sabretooth. Let's just skip over that. Well, let, let's again. Well, Toad gets fired in out con- into into uh, the the yeah. ocean. Yeah, no, that one that one I certainly remember. If for no other reason, I if it weren't for the incredibly yeah. bad line reading there, yeah. uh, I certainly I'm pretty sure I would have forgotten that scene. Yeah. Both henchmen get tossed off the Statue of Liberty yeah. at various heights. Yes. Is what happens. Yes. But if we think about this in, in sort of the progression of comic book films, sticking that landing in the third act is not a problem unique to this film. I mean, think back to the first oh, Superman film. He flies around the world <laughs> to turn back time. Um, Burton's Batman films have <coughs> not bad endings, but just kind of strange endings, the whole cathedral thing. In, I'm gonna throw the Joker first. off the cathedral. I'm gonna throw the Joker off the cathedral. <laughs> doop, doop, doop. Um, that was and, my dead-on Batman impression. If, if we if we go forward, um, the endings of the Spider-Man films are not spectacular. <laughs> and You shut your mouth about Spider-Man 3. It ends beautifully. It took a a long time 
to see a comic book film that actually stuck the landing in the third act. And honestly, the first one that I can think of that did it is actually The Dark Knight. Even Batman Begins, like, for such a fairly well-grounded film, ultimately turns into, we have to have a fight on a runaway train! Yeah. At the at the end of the film. But you get to The Dark Knight, and it, it But becomes... I don't have to save you! Exactly. But you get into The Dark Knight, and you, you have what is... You know, a tense but fairly intimate standoff between Batman and the Joker. And then that incredible scene with Batman and Gordon and Harvey Dent as your ending. And it the ending sticks on a thematic level, not just a level of the action that's happening. But so many comic book films prior to that and even since that just kind of fall into the trap of, All right, something's about to blow up. We're on a runaway train. We have to drown the sun. <laughs> God damn it! That fucking movie. Why is it so popular? God damn that fucking sun. <laughs> they throw it. In, they throw it in the goddamn river, and there's no steam. It's a fucking sun. Come on, people. I fucking uh, hate that. Mo- I fucking hate the end of that movie. I don't. I don't want to turn this into a podcast about uh, Batman, but I. I agree that the end of uh, Batman Begins is not great, uh, but I. I don't think mm-hmm. the end of Dark Knight is good either. Um, I think it's fantastic. I, I think that the whole two-faced Joker ending is really poorly handled. Uh, but I also thought that the Dark Knight, the opening of it, was very poor because it completely ignores everything that happened at the end of Batman Begins. Um, but again, I don't want to turn this into uh, that film. Yeah. Uh, and instead, can we talk about when Sabretooth throws Wolverine at the spike on the uh, uh, on the Statue of Liberty's <laughs> head, and it's like he has a hook. And, and he swings around, uh, but it's just his claws and slicing through it. But then there's, like, some kind of magic axis in the center. Uh, That's his, his mutant powers. Yeah, uh, yep. apparently. Uh, He's got momentum powers. And this... Uh, I I had a lot of problems with the first X-Men film, but I generally think that it's actually a pretty good film. But the the climactic moment of this first X-Men film when everyone's working together as a team. Uh, they, they all manage to escape, although for some reason Jean Grey doesn't use her telekinesis while they're all she, trapped she, against the walls on the inside. Yeah. Hold on. What's that? Well, she's floating... She's What's floating uh, Cyclops's uh, no. goggles. Before that. Before that. When they're all trapped against the walls and Wolverine has to uh, oh, yeah. puncture himself, everyone is, is trapped somehow except her. Like, she's held against the wall by Magneto. They're, apparently the things are still magnetized, even though he's off doing the thing with Rogue. Yeah. But she just she's just they're, they're helpless in front of Cyclops uh, for no reason. Uh, there's no mention yeah, of no, how her telekinesis that. could be used. But then I like sure. that there's, there's a climactic, like okay, now we've gotten free, everyone has used their specific power, and now uh, we're all going to come together as a team to stop this thing and to save our other team member, Rogue. Uh, so, uh, Storm conjures up the wind uh, to to throw Wolverine. Uh, Jean Grey steadies him. Cyclops is is ready to like zap in case he has a chance. He's the backup. Uh, but then he gets up there and he's on top of the thing. And Magneto, the whole crux of this plot for Magneto is that Rogue will take his power away from him and and will be uh, she'll be the conduit 
which will uh, send out this energy force. But then Magneto still has his power to stop Wolverine somehow. Well, it, it doesn't take the power away? Like, we never see someone lose a power no, but because of what Rogue it does? does, because they specifically say that Wolverine loses his power. He loses his healing ability. But he recovers it fairly quickly both times it happens. The bigger issue with this is the plan hinges on Wolverine being able to stop this when we have clearly established repeatedly that Wolverine (laughs) is completely useless in the face of Magneto because he is encrusted in metal. But I I thought that it, it it should work because... The whole point of Magneto's plan was that he would be mm-hmm. helpless during this whole thing. But uh, you say that you know he he would be able to recover yeah. faster. No, enough, I, I, I just didn't buy it. I thought that the whole that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, um. Uh, yeah. I, I I do I do like the the way you just described it though the the fact that in yeah, order no, to I... to to. You know, stop Magneto at the end. They actually do have to each work as a member of a team, and th- and that I thought was a that was done in a way that was it was clear without being in your face obvious. Yeah. like n- no one said we have to work as a team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they uh, all and they, they all have like all simple enough powers to... that yeah, it's yeah. not like. It's not like uh, they have to, like, combine their powers in any particularly uh, overly overt ways. It's not like, and I'll use my fire to keep yeah. you warm or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, there, there's no point where you're like, well, fuck it, that guy's just here so that everybody can be using their powers. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> It, it reminds me of uh, the Fantastic Four when everyone had their powers, but really it was the thing who was doing everything. <laughs> yes. <coughs> uh, I did think it was clever uh, how uh, how Rogue came about her her skunk stripe by uh, <laughs> uh, although it doesn't make sense that her hair the lock of hair that's already out of her head would turn gray. Like it would make sense if the little bit that is growing out would be gray, but uh. Sure. Or skunk stripe. Nope. Thank you. Well, I mean, that's what it is, right? Isn't that what you call that? Uh, I call I call it a white streak. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Because it's a white yeah. streak in her hair. <laughs> I'm not making judgments on how she smells. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would not. I would. If you ever see a woman with a streak of white in her hair, I would not recommend calling it a skunk stripe unless she calls it that herself. Because that could definitely be taken the wrong way. Yeah. I didn't say also, the I'm not sure I would. I'm not sure that I would hang around a lot of women who referred to themselves as skunks. <laughs> hey, man, true. don't judge. Uh, it's just me. God. Let's see. Let me... God, I wonder what perverted sexual community that would be. <laughs> uh... Let me run down my list of notes here uh, and yeah. see if there's anything we haven't gone over. Um, oh, I liked the moment when uh, like Wolverine is not committed to joining the team. He's not committed to sticking around until he sort of has to watch out for Rogue uh, when she, she runs away. But it's, it's also the same moment when she has taken his power away from him for the first time. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah. th- they tell him, uh, you know, if she hadn't, if she uh, held on to you for any longer, you could have died. Uh, 
And yeah. he realizes that, you know, he's not completely invulnerable, that he is mortal. Uh, and it, it kind of humbles him a little bit. And I felt like that took him down a peg uh, and made him realize that, you know, yes, there is a real advantage to people working together and he doesn't have to go out on his own all the time. Mm -hmm. That's good. All right. Good work. Um, good work. Oh, hold on. No, oh, I still had, that things. was just the first of the, the notes that we haven't gone over. Um, oh. oh, good. Uh, one of the with your notes. Sorry. Uh, in terms of not having enough character development, one thing I feel that really suffered was Wolverine's relationship with Jean Grey. That he's mm -hmm. he's immediately sort of infatuated with her. He has that line at the end about how his heart already belongs to somebody else. Uh, and mm -hmm. it's just like, I'm not buying it. He, you've, you've talked to her for all of 10 minutes. Uh, so th this, this actually, you, I think, is... It, we talk about Wolverine as a character in the film versus... I mean, in the film, he, he's like six foot two, you know, strapping Hugh Jackman. Mm -hmm. In the yes. comics, he is like a five foot five... <laughs> Canadian covered in in hair from like head to toe, like yeah. he's basically an animal. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and okay. he's not a handsome man. He is not a handsome All man right. by any means. Jean Grey and his relationship with Jean in the comics serves to humanize him a bit. It, it's an anchor for him to his to some kind of other humanity. And in the comics, okay. it's or in the film, it's you know, this fair, this attractive guy is attracted to this attractive girl because <laughs> yeah. they're so beautiful together. Not because she's the first person who's recognized him as a human or a, you know, yes, uh, a person. Um, yeah. Not to be homo yeah. sapio normative. Um, <laughs> it's uh, very important here. <laughs> let's see. Also, uh, Sabretooth sucks, and yep. uh, my one comic book guy question. Uh, do you think that Wolverine's tolerance to alcohol ever changes, or does that just heal up constantly all the time? Like, would he ever be able to drink a whole lot, or would he always be able to drink a whole lot because his his mutant healing factor will constantly sober him? I love I love you so much. <laughs> I, I that's one of the things I really liked about uh, that. Uh... They bring up with Captain America in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that they address that mm. that he can't get drunk. <laughs> uh, I appreciate it. it's a it's a very it's a very minor thing, but I just mm -hmm. I like it when people sort of went all right. Well, we've given the, we've given this person this set of powers. Yeah. What are some of sort of the logical uh, things that maybe we wouldn't think that power implies? But here are some things that would happen. Yeah. So I don't know. Has they ha have. Has the mutant healing factor ever been addressed in terms of his alcohol tolerance? Not that I'm aware of. I just assume he kind of likes the burn. <laughs> yeah. I also so assume that, would, that I, he's basically... It would basic, seem to me like he should not be able to get drunk. Yeah. It I, seems I to me logically that, I don't think yeah. he should be able to get drunk. I assume that what he is drinking Candle is also probably bathtub gin. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Wilderness hooch. Uh, it's probably closer yeah. to moonshine. Yeah. yeah. I would... <laughs> 
I wonder if the Flash can get drunk. The Flash might also be in a situation his where his metabolism, yeah, his metabolism might make it so he can't really get drunk either. There, there was a uh, a period in the history of the Flash uh, in the oh, late God. '80s and early '90s where he did because his metabolism was so rapid, he had to constantly eat because <laughs> awesome. he was burning calories so quickly. Yes, um, that that was forgotten. Probably for um, the best. All right. So, uh, <coughs> did, was there more on the list? No, that was it. All right. He hit. He hit the important you point did. of Sabretooth sucks. Sabretooth yes, sucks. he does. Uh, Sabretooth to- sucks. Toad is better than Sabretooth. <laughs> but Toad um, also sucks. <laughs> let's yes. let's make that clear. Yes. <laughs> Toad sucks. Um, so from that point, I but. I, but I think we do, do need to remember, if it had been cast with Ray Park Jr., Ray Parker Jr. It would have yeah. been, if it was Ray Parker Jr., it would have been a much better role. <laughs> I ain't afraid of no mutants. Toad makes me feel good. Awesome. Oh, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Thank you. You're what are you digging out? Uh, you guys can keep talking. We can we can sign off. This is a, a visual joke. Well, I, I was going to say, um, dude, do you have any final thoughts on the film as as we move to the sign off? Uh, I liked it a lot more than I. Uh, I thought it was a lot better film than I remembered it being. Um, mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, in in terms of one of the first films for for Marvel properties that like introduces the primary Marvel properties, uh, mm-hmm. I would say that they did a pretty good job with this. Uh, that if, if I had no knowledge of superheroes whatsoever, uh, and I went and saw this at the theater it, you know, in July of 2000 as a summer blockbuster, then I would probably have been pretty impressed. Uh, I mean, it, it introduces the whole, like, these are people with superpowers, uh, but they live realistically in a world where people are can't deal with the, the fact that, you know, there would be humans that have some kind of special ability. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was pretty good. Cool. Bester? Yeah, pretty much the same. I mean, I think it's... Don't have any I, electric I said... cigarette companies you want to plug or any uh, canceled uh... TV series you want to mourn? Uh, none that I can connect immediately to this film. Uh... All right, I, I, I guess I guess repeating some uh, things from earlier. I mean, I think it is. I think that it is like it's a good movie, but it's not great. I think it's probably probably about the same as I feel with uh, Blade, and just mm-hmm. in terms of sort of this early, the the beginning of of Marvel movies starting to get their shit together. I mean, as we said, this is a franchise that is now going to go into shortly its seventh movie, so. Obviously, things must be working fairly well for them, if not creatively, at least economically. Uh, but really, most importantly, watch Terriers. <laughs> Everyone should watch Terriers. Uh, all right. Um, g- generally speaking, I-, I am in agreement in the points that were was made because nothing is uh, nothing's quite as dramatic or exciting as consensus. Um, yeah. Two two things that I I do want to well, say. Well, you're that, fucking wrong. Consensus is boring. Two two things that I do want to say. 
One, I'm really glad that Halle Berry's wig survived long <laughs> enough for Kelly Who to start wearing it on Arrow. Uh, yes. Yep. Yes, that is the exact same goddamn hair. And two, um, I, I noticed, and maybe this is a Canadian thing, but the method by which Rogue stows away with Wolverine leaving the bar is the same method by which Troy stows away with Ralsdower in The Final Sacrifice when escaping. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's a Canadian thing. Ralsdower. <laughs> Are there mutants on the moon? <laughs> You'll wonder if there's beer on the sun. On the sun. <laughs> on the sun. Uh, on the moon. I... <laughs> On the I, I, ha- I have basically decided, <laughs> No, your father. He was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> he shoved a bottle brush down my throat. Ooh, I hate legends. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> at, at this point, I, ha- I have basically decided Troy and Ralsdower are the Canadian version of Tintin and Captain Haddock. <laughs> I like it. Yep. I love it. All right. Get Spielberg to direct a uh, CGI remake. Oh my God! I would watch that in a heartbeat. Um, uh, that that was our rambling, disjointed discussion of the first X Men film. Give us a break. It's a Tuesday. <laughs> um. Well, to be fair, haven't all of our discussions been fairly rambling and disjointed? I feel like, perhaps with the exception of my summary, I feel like this has been fairly par for the course for, uh, uh, for our enough. podcast. Fair enough. Um. Uh, next we time... don't have our shit together. <laughs> Cinema Excelsior. We'll, sh- <laughs> we'll do better next week. <laughs> I couldn't even Audience. say that. <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, but before uh, before we dive out, so our next episode, as, as a preview, this will be our first sequel next time mm. around. Yeah, I know. We rejoin Wesley Snipes. And explore some. I don't even really know how to describe this shit. <laughs> there are vampires. Some some things explode. There's, there's, there's Wesley vampires, Snipes. Weird crap. Wesley Snipes continues to be very black. <laughs> in. <laughs> oh my god. The next uh, film is Blade yeah, 2. The next, mo- the next film is Blade 2. Good Blade night. Blade 2. Blade 2, everyone. Blade 2.